So Thermacheck brings together all of the elements that we've known for many years that increase the accuracy of, a, of doing a, a breast thermogram. So it's things like, uh, you know, how to correctly prepare a, a client before they have the scan. Mammography is, is designed to detect a, a mass or a lump in the breast. Welcome back to Reconditioned with me, Lauren Vaknin. Thank you once again for choosing to be here with all the uh, one billion podcasts on the internet. Um, I am so excited about today's, ep I know I say that a lot, I know, but I just have some amazing guests and today's guests I had on the podcast three years ago when the podcast was in its first incarnation when it was called Healthy Happy Home and I had a, a co-host um, and I just knew that I needed to get him back on the podcast because the topic is so important. So it's Dr. Nigel Eccles and otherwise known as the natural doctor and his clinic in Harley Street deals with breast thermography and bioidentical or body identical hormones. Um, they deal with loads of other stuff like men's health, men's hormones, fertility, all from a natural and preventative approach, which is just incredible and what we all need to be doing. Like it is the future. We should all be working towards preventing dis-ease as opposed to waiting till something happens and then reacting to that. That is my whole ethos in life. That's why this podcast exists, to give all the information that helps you to make an informed choice, but also to prevent things from happening. So for example, you know, we wanna be preventing breast cancer. I don't wanna be paying money into breast cancer charities that don't seem to be once on their website or in any of their media or their promotions or anything talking about not using toxic deodorants that have got aluminium in them. or not talking about the dangers of eating sugar to prevent breast cancer. These are just basic things that with our own lifestyles and our own, um, I guess, commitment to our health and our taking responsibility for our own health, right? It's our body, it's our responsibility. It's not anyone else's responsibility or it shouldn't at least be anyone else's responsibility to fix us when things go wrong. We've been gifted this body as part of this human experience we are incarnated in at the moment. And we need to be honoring that and we honor it by preventing dis-ease. So if you're going and injecting Botox into your face because you want to look younger and you're using toxic aerosol aluminium filled deodorants and you're eating sugar and drinking a load of caffeine and not looking after yourself and then you get cancer, you get breast cancer and you simply don't understand how could this have happened to me? We have all these answers, they're all here. And that's not to put blame or shame on anyone. We can only do as well as we know how to do with the information we have at the time. But that's what this podcast exists for, to give you that information so you can move forward in your life with a preventative approach from a place of informed choice. So this episode, I spoke with Dr. Nigel Eccles all about, we went really deep into breast thermography. Um, and speaking about how breast thermography can detect changes in the breast that could potentially lead to um, breast cancer later on. So we can detect that and see that that might be happening earlier on than a mammogram would be able to detect it. We also spoke and he gave us an incredible insight into why mammograms are not safe as a uh, screening tool 
And I read a book by Peter Goach um, years ago, who is the uh, co-founder of the Cochrane Collaboration, which is the world's leading medical research facility. So some credibility there. He also wrote a book called Deadly Medicine and Organized Crime. Highly recommend both of them. Um, but that taught me, I think, when I was about 30, never have a mammogram. Again, this doesn't mean that we're doing nothing, right? I just I just want to point that out because it's like when I say I don't give my kids cowpaw when they've got fevers. Doesn't mean I'm sitting back and doing nothing. I'm always being proactive in my well-being, but maybe just in a different way to what the mainstream is telling us to do because through my research I've learned that a lot of these ways aren't not necessarily the safest. So here Dr. Eccles tells us all about breast thermography which can detect changes in breast tissue way earlier. So it's a preventative tool because if you can detect that there are changes, you can then say, right, this early on, I can then make these lifestyle changes, which is what his clinic then guides you to do. They say, right, you need this, 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 and this, and you move forward with those things, go back in six months. And he said that there was a huge percentage, huge, the majority of patients come back and those changes have gone. So that's incredible. So. Um, we spoke about that and we also spoke about um, HRT, whether or not it is safe or dangerous. And he goes into that and gives his expert opinion or explanation on that. And we spoke a little bit about men's health as well and men's hormones. Um, so I'll go ahead and just read his bio so you kind of can get a bit of an idea about um, Dr. Eccles. So Dr. Nigel Eccles, following his double doctorate, medicine and pharmacology, Dr. Eccles has worked as a general and natural medicine physician with special interest in supportive nutritional treatments that promote well-being, recovery and anti-aging. He is also one of UK, the UK's leading experts in bioidentical hormones. As the medical director of The Natural Doctor in Harley Street in London, he has become one of Europe's leading clinicians involved in breast thermography as a non-invasive tool for early detection of breast cancer and for this purpose has developed Thermocheck, a computer-assisted breast thermography system. He's listed in the who's who in the world for outstanding achievement in his field. So you can see he's got so much credibility, such a great guy as well, so down to earth. I'm looking forward to all of you men and women listening to this episode. I'm hoping that some men will listen to it as well because actually we all need to understand this stuff and be supporting each other. If you have a partner um, who is female and you are male listening to this will obviously help you support her as well as the information about men's hormones at the end of the episode. So enjoy. Once again, I will just repeat um, because we do talk about it on the episode. If you would like to visit Dr. Eccles at his clinic, in Harley Street, his clinic have kindly offered listeners of Reconditioned a 10% discount for, for thermography. Um, so you just need to reference Reconditioned Podcast and they will action that for you. So thank you to um, Dr. Eccles and his clinic. Thank you to our sponsors for today, Amrita and Sensate. And thank you to you all for being here. As you know, I appreciate you. The advice I get asked for probably more than anything else is supplements. Where do I get my high quality supplements? I am so particular about my supplements and I research every single ingredient right down to what the capsule shell is made of, 
which is why my clients trust my recommendations so much. Now, because I'm super picky, I get all my supplements from Amrita Nutrition. And I found them about a decade ago because they were the only UK stockist to stock seeking health products, which were developed specifically for MTHFR. And I've stayed with them ever since because they literally stock the absolute highest quality brands from all over the world, like Moss Nutrition, Quicksilver, Apex, and so many others that I love. And I know that anything I get from them is going to be the utmost highest quality. They also offer personal support at every stage from their customer care team and in-house nutritional practitioners. So you can order using practitioner invite code Lauren, which will get you 10% off all supplements, which will be applied to every order once you've set up an account. And you can also create your own protocols once you've set up an account, which is pretty cool. And I've gone ahead and created a collection of all my favorite supplements with Amrita, which you can find in the show notes or on my website. Otherwise, just visit amritanutrition.co.uk and don't forget to use code Lauren for 10% off. Thank you so much to Amrita for supporting our mission here at Reconditioned. Dr. Eccles, welcome back. You were on Reconditioned when it wasn't Reconditioned about three years ago when it was still um, in its first incarnation. So welcome back. I thought it would be great to get you back on now um, to just have this conversation again and open up the conversation all about women's preventative health. Sure. Well, thank you for, for asking me back on. Yeah, no, you're so welcome. I'm such a fan of what you do. So I'm, yeah, really looking forward to just kind of going even deeper than we did last time and um, just really opening up this conversation. So as you might remember, I always start by asking my guests, what have you done so far today to support your wellness? And that might oh, be hard because I know you've been a bit unwell. <laughs> uh, drunk loads of water. Right. Would be the first answer. Because I'm, uh, I'm sort of, you know, rehydrating after a bit of an episode. So I, I would say that's, at the, that's been at the top of the list today. I'm sure. And, and even if you're not unwell, that's a great, a great uh, wellness hack, I would say. Sure. So the reason that I enjoy talking to you and that I think you're a great guest um, for this podcast, you're a medical doctor and a pharmacologist, but you're also very focused on natural and preventative approaches to medicine to health and one of the things that you you focus on many things I know that your clinic uh, the natural doctor in Harley Street focuses on all sorts of things but um, one of the things that is of particular interest to me and my audience and we will get on to many of the topics we'll talk about fertility men's health I'd love to start with women's health and talk about breast thermography and your specific um, non-invasive tool that you have for breast thermography, which is called the ThermoCheck, and then talk about HRT and bioidentical hormones and all that great stuff. So can you start by telling us what is ThermoCheck and what is thermography? Uh, yes, I can. So uh, uh, ThermoCheck is really a form of, of breast thermography. Um, the difference is that it's, I believe it brings together all of the, um, all of the elements that need to make, that you need to make thermography accurate. 
um, because over the years, you know, it, and, and, and still, I, I should hasten to add, it's still in some places not done uh, as well as it could be in order to maintain a good level of accuracy. So Thermacheck brings together all of the elements that we've known for many years that increase the accuracy of, a, of doing a, a breast thermogram. So it's things like, uh, you know, how to correctly prepare a, a client before they have the scan. That should always be the same. So you standardize that. It incorporates the, the correct cooling procedure uh, that enhances the, the reliability of the, uh, of the scan, the sensitivity of it. And also we employ, it employs a, a computer technology to analyze the, the thermal data that we collect from scanning the breasts because um, you know historically and still it's being done is a doctor sits in front of a scan eyeballs it and then constructs a manual report but a computer can do a lot of that thermal analysis much more accurately and more thoroughly than a human eye can so it brings together all of these elements in order to standardize a thermographic process of the breast so that you always get consistent and best quality outcomes so that's that's what Thermacheck is, and it, it's it's emerged out of really me doing it from uh, 2004 and using different systems, learning from some of the errors those systems had incorporated into them, and kind of bringing the best of those in order to to make a more robust tool that's easy to use by uh, health professionals, and that doesn't take up a lot of uh, a lot of time in terms of generating a report because. With Thermacheck and with the computer technology incorporated into it, a report is generated in a fraction of a, of a, well, really just in a few seconds, because the computer takes the burden of the analysis and generates a report fairly quickly. So instead of taking half an hour of a doctor's time to do a report, it's now literally a couple of minutes. Um, so it's easy to easy to sign off. It's standardized. That's kind of what I wanted uh, a breast thermography tool to be. So hence, you know, Thermajet was born, uh, how many years is it now? Uh, nigh on, it's not 10 years, but it's sort of eight, eight years. Right. And just to get granular and to kind of take a step back for anyone listening mm. who isn't even sure what that what thermography is. Thermography is it's a yes. detection tool, an early detection tool for breast cancer, yes. right? Or maybe you can articulate that better. Well, well, I think we have to be careful about saying it's an early detection tool for breast cancer, um, because um, uh, historically, when we said that, people don't like it for. Right, yeah. Because it, 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 uh, what I would say, it's a breast health tool. Mm. Let me explain the difference. Um, can you, so to answer your question, can it pick up changes that suggest uh, a, a cancer developing earlier? Yes. But here's the difference. What a thermogram is doing is it's looking for temperature changes in the breast. And if you see temperature changes on one side and not on the other breast, that requires an explanation. Now, it doesn't mean that a temperature change equals a cancer. It could be infection, it could be an inflammatory process. But if someone has a persistently abnormal thermogram over time, we know from the studies that uh, that represents an increased risk 
of developing cancer. So uh, it's a 40% increased risk over five years. That's what the, the scientific studies show. So I prefer to talk about a breast thermograph as a, as a breast health tool, because if you have a normal thermogram, it means you have healthy breast tissue. There's no asymmetry in terms of the temperature changes. Whereas if we, if we look at the gold standard, uh, uh, for uh, current uh, breast screening, it's mammograms. Really, a mammogram is only telling you whether or not you have a lump big enough to block enough x-rays. But it doesn't tell you you've got healthy breasts. It only tells you you don't have something, you know, growing there. There's the difference. If you have a, and I, and I believe it's important to stress this comparison because a lot of people get this wrong. Um, it's a breast thermogram identifies whether or not you have healthy breasts or not. And if you are, if there are thermal changes, could it be an early cancer? Yes, but it could be other things. But you have to monitor that person carefully, repeat the thermogram, and more than that, advise them what you can do to stop those thermal changes in their tracks over time. And that's that's another interesting dimension of the of the story that we might we might want to talk a bit about. Uh, it's how you can how to use thermography to reduce a woman's risk of developing breast cancer. So there are there are other lifestyle nutritional elements that can be brought in to actually reverse some of those thermal changes that we that we see. And in fact, that's what what we do in our clinic. And we've got good success. About eighty percent of thermograms will return to normal in six months just by making lifestyle and key new nutrient changes. Amazing. And I'd love to get onto those lifestyle nutrient changes in a minute. Something that has always been a bit of a challenge for me, and I know it is to most people I speak to, is fitting in the time for all the spiritual and self-development practices I want to do. You know, I'd like to meditate and do breath work and yoga and walk in nature and connect with my guides and journaling and so much more, all the things every day. But we can't do all the things every day. I'm a mom, I run a business. And even as someone who really does put this stuff first, it's pretty impossible to fit it all in. So the one thing that's really helped me over the past year is the Sensate. It is a piece of health tech that fits in the palm of your hand. And it basically sends infrasonic waves through the chest to activate the vagus nerve and calm the autonomic nervous system. And you use it while playing the specially composed audio within the app. It's actually pretty genius. And honestly, at the moment, with my days being more full on than they've ever been, using the Sensate is really the one thing that I know will work on so many aspects of my well-being at once. So even if I haven't had time to do any other practices during the day, I lie down at night and I use the Sensate for 10 to 20 minutes before I sleep and it reduces cortisol levels, it calms my brainwave states, it gives me great optimized sleep, it calms anxiety, and because of how it activates the vagus nerve, it deepens my meditation. So I can kind of do all that in one go. And I also take it everywhere with me. So if I've got 10 minutes in the car while I'm waiting for the school gates to open, I can just do it then without the pressure of knowing that meditation would be a bit challenging when I'm probably in heightened brainwave states at that point. So for me generally, it's been pretty life-changing. And if what I spoke about resonates with you at all, you can get £30 off the Sensate by visiting getsensate.com. 
and using code Lauren30. That's G-E-T-S-E-N-S-A-T-E dot com, Lauren30. Thank you so much to Sensate for supporting our mission here at Reconditioned. Let's just go a bit deeper into how thermography works and what women are gaining from it. And mammograms. I mean, I read Peter C. Gotch's um, book on mammograms a while, it was quite a while ago now. Mm. Probably should have reread it to prepare for this. But um, essentially, um, mammograms can, it is said, and, you know, um, Peter Gotch, who is the co-founder of the Cochrane Collaboration, has stated that mammograms can be dangerous and can prevent, uh, can cause more breast cancer than they can prevent. So if what you're saying is that a mammogram can detect breast cancer when there is already a lump, but mm. thermography could, could detect changes in the breast that could potentially lead to cancer earlier on so that you can actually, because I guess from my perspective of just, you know, from the perspective, I guess, also of everyone listening, if you know, your average woman goes and gets a mammogram or they find a lump on their breast and they go and get a mammogram and then they have a biopsy and it's shown that it is breast cancer. Even at that point, there are loads of natural things you can do to heal, but it's a lot harder at that point. It takes a lot more work. So the idea of this is mind-blowing. And ever since I spoke to you three years ago, I was, you know, just kind of mind-blown by this whole procedure that we can actually have this as part of a preventative approach to our wellness and maybe get a thermogram every so often to just keep understanding what's going on in our breast so that we never get to that point of having to find a lump. And, you know, I'm all for, of course, checking breasts and doing all these things that a lot of, you know, influencers are talking about. But what I find and what really frustrates me in the space of kind of breast cancer awareness is that from my perspective I get very angry on social media that I don't see any breast cancer awareness influencers talking about the prevention of breast cancer not mm. using aluminium deodorants under their arms right next to their lymph nodes what they're eating how they're living caffeine sugar macmillan coffee mornings where you take coffee and cakes and it's all sugar and all the things that feed cancer so for mm. me this is a tool that is revolutionary in order to be able to stop us from getting to that point. So we recognize it and then you as the practitioner would go, right, here's a bunch of stuff we can do. So before we get onto that bunch of stuff that we can do, mm. can you talk a little bit about mammograms and the difference between mammography and thermography and where and why mammograms could potentially not be as safe as we, we've been led to believe they are? Yes, um, so um, mammography is, is designed to detect a, a mass or a lump in the breast. And of course it has a, a, a limitation on how well it can do that depending on the size of the lump. So the, the estimation is that uh, something needs to be about the size of a small grape, one centimeter in size. Sure, sometimes we can detect smaller than that, but not always. So reliably about one centimeter. Now we know from, uh, from uh, studies of, of cancer cell division rates that for something to reach one centimeter, it usually, and of course the cancers uh, vary in the rate at which they progress, but let's take an average rate of progression. It's normally gonna take you six to 10 years to reach 
a size of one centimeter. So that, if we think about that, when we're detecting that, that mass could have been there much smaller and not detectable for six to six to ten years before it's actually detectable on a, on a mammogram. And it's it, it's the story is a bit is a, is a bit more uh, even somber than that because if you look at studies that have looked at wide excision biopsy of 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 uh, what we thought were single a single mass in the breast. So we're, where we see on a mammogram what looks like a single tumor, and, and then the, these have been removed with a four centimeter margin. In two thirds of those cases, you find smaller deposits of cancer in the surrounding tissue. So remember that's something we thought was a single mass on a mammogram. So that tells us really that, that mammography, uh, now we're gonna talk about the risks in a minute, but, but is it an efficient early detection tool? I would argue not based on the science, it isn't. I mean, one of the things we must do is, is try and detect earlier changes, you know, before they become structural, structural preferably. So now, so is it an efficient tool? No. Uh, Peter Gersh, if you, when you read his work, it's very obvious it isn't. Uh, and in fact, he, he makes a statement that uh, in, in his writing that where he says, if, if mammography had been a drug, it would have been taken off the market long time ago. Because why? Because the harm is greater than, uh, than the benefit. Yes. And, and if, if we find a drug does more harm than good, what do we do? Usually we take it off the market. So, so he made that statement. It's a strong statement, but he's only following the science. So now why, why is it, why is it uh, uh, even potentially detrimental? Well, one, because it's radiation exposure. Uh, uh, and that's why you have to have a mammogram in a special room, which, which doesn't allow the radiation out. So it's, it's radiation exposure to the breast. And we know that in a premenopausal woman, uh, an exposure to that kind of radiation will increase her risk of breast cancer by 1% for each exposure. So uh, that's one of the reasons it's not recommended really in a premenopausal. Well, in any case, the breast tissue is dense and you, it's harder to see uh, an abnormal mass when you've got dense breast tissue and 50% of women have dense breast tissue. So uh, it gets less dense as a woman goes beyond menopause. So that's why it makes things easier to see. So, but if the radiation exposure can increase your risk of cancer, that's one. There's a lot of debate about the compression that you have to place on, on the breast at the time of a mammogram, because for ladies who haven't had one, basically your, your breast is flattened between two plates so that you expose the breast area to the ionizing radiation so you can see the area of the breast better. So, we, we, there's debate over what does that compression of the breast do? Uh, <clears throat> there is some evidence that, um, that it can perhaps rupture a, 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 a tumor and help to disseminate it. There are concerns about that. Uh, and Katrina Packman has done some interesting work in, in Germany where she's, she's shown that after mammography, before and after mammography, you get an increase in circulating epithelial cells post-mammogram. That means that the compression is releasing cells into the circulation. 
So, you know, it, it's something that has to be addressed and debated in, in a rational way. Is there a possibility? Let's suppose you did have a tumour there that's too small for you to feel and you pressed it under what is a considerable amount of pressure. Um, you know, it takes, we think, about 22 pounds of pressure to rupture the capsule of a, of a, of a cancer. And the average pressure at a mammogram is about 42 pounds of pressure. So could that pressure rupture a, a tumour? Yes, it could because it's enough to do it. Um, Pacman's work suggests that, you know, the increase in circulating cells may be a concern if you, if you did have a cancer there that, you know, you're detecting for the first time. So those are some downsides. Um, on top of the, uh, and, and the other thing, it, it, uh, which we should add to the equation, and Peter Gersh talks about this too, is that, is that it often leads to mammograms um, often lead to women being overtreated for cancers that wouldn't have harmed them, that wouldn't have threatened their life. So in other words, uh, mastectomy, radiation, chemotherapy, all done for uh, cancers that potentially wouldn't have been a threat to, to, that, to that woman's life. So, so the data shows that there is, a, there is certainly an element of overtreatment based on the use of, of mammograms. So all things considered, is it early detection? No. Uh, do, the, do the risks um, uh, outweigh the benefits? Yes. Um, uh, could it be potentially damaging? Yes. I would agree with Peter Gersh. We, it, it's long overdue for us to be thinking about doing better than this. Is it likely that the NHS will ever implement thermography as standard instead of mammography in your opinion? Um, you know, uh, part of me would like to think yes somehow, but uh, I don't see it coming anytime soon, honestly. Um, it, it, we've spent a lot of time, uh, the work I've been doing, trying to, you know, convince doctors uh, within mainstream. Uh, there's still a lot of antagonism to it, for, and, and that's due to, with all due respect, it's, all, it's due to lack of understanding of what thermography really is uh, and how it contrasts. Now, it adds something to what we're currently doing. There's a, big mis there's a lot of misunderstanding about that, I think, and if it's used correctly, and that's important to say this, if it's used correctly, it's a very useful tool, at least alongside the, you know, the current technology. Will it ever replace, uh, you know, in, uh, in my dreams, it does. <laughs> um, our mission is to make it more available to women, um, on a, certainly on a, at least on a private basis, so that they can access uh, thermography uh, more widely across UK and Europe. That was part of the reason for developing Thermacheck is to have a model which is easy to roll for doctors, it's easy to place, um, and it's, it's easy to put out there and make it accessible. That's part of our mission. It will certainly, I think, expand within the private sphere uh, because of that. Will it, will it ever reach in? It, it sort of depends. I, I think what we're in the process of doing is creating a snowball effect because, because I think the more it's done and the more centers offer it, the more data we can accumulate and create an even more robust argument for its use. So I... My personal view is that the more it rolls out, the more doctors use it, the more data we'll have, the more convincing we can be 
uh, in in the years to come around you know the arguments of its precision and detection, what it is detecting, how it differs from mammogram. So I so I so I think the story will get more robust and stronger from a thermographic point of view over the next well over the next sort of months and years as we roll out thermocheck. I mean, scientists, bless them, they take their time, don't they? I mean, they, they didn't want to listen when we told them that the, uh, that the Earth was round and took a while to get them to that. So sometimes it just takes them a bit longer yeah. to come out of their <laughs> mindsets that's right, of what, that's right. what there, they've there been is told a, there is right. There is a strong element of, uh, of inflexibility in, you know, in medicine. Mm. Uh, I, I don't think it's the same in all countries. I certainly think in, in the UK, you know, we... We're stuck in tradition a lot of the time. We don't change so easily. It takes a long time to change, you know. And uh, and I, and I think, you know, just looking at this from a cold science point of view, you know, I, no one's given me a convincing argument yet why we shouldn't include this along at least alongside, you know, the the conventional screening because it offers other things that mammograms don't. I you can screen and tell a woman if if she has healthy breasts or not. A mammogram doesn't do that. It only tells you, as I said, we said before, that you don't have, you know, a, a structure there big enough to block enough X-rays. But but I think that's why where the focus needs to change in maintaining wellness, maintaining health, not just detecting disease. Yeah, and and this is the key from my own experience over the past twenty years in in healing myself from disability and being on this journey. And through the work I do and speaking to people like you, you know, having the opportunity to, to do that, I really have learned that it is very difficult to get the medical model to look at anything different. And what I really have seen through my journey is that just because something isn't accepted by the mainstream does not mean that it is absolutely potentially more valid than the thing that is in the mainstream and mm. that's why this podcast exists that's why I do the work I do to give people all the information because my whole jam is informed choice let people have the information and then be able to make an informed decision on what is right not based on what anyone is telling them but on having all the information and not and that information not being hidden from them and with that being said it then leads on to us because we are often kept in the dark about the things that could be beneficial for us. And I really have seen this over the years. And for me, it really is a truth that some of the most healing, the healing modalities that are the most powerful and potent are the things that are not available in the mainstream. And often the things that are made, of, made illegal by, by mainstream medicine and WHO, etc. So with that in mind, for me, it is about each individual taking responsibility for their well-being and living through a preventative approach. So can you take us back to what you were saying before about, say a woman comes to you and you notice some detection of some heat in the breast or whatever it is, you know, you're detecting on that, the, the, the thermal, um, how would you describe it? Thermal, thermal something, thermal, uh, thermal changes, patterns, thermal patterns. Yeah. Yeah. Um, excuse my ignorance. Um, no, no. And it's not necessarily looking like a cancer, but you think okay, potentially in however many years that could lead to a cancer uh, from your experience and what you've seen. What would you then advise a woman to start doing? 
Okay, so um, uh, just to just to uh, comment on what you just said before this, before I answer that. Now, I, I think you're right. I think it's very important to allow people to make informed choice because a lot of what's happening now is, you know, information is being shut away. We're being, you know, being a lot of people are being censored from actually giving opinions. Yeah, and Myself and actually. Included. It, it, it's it's unprecedented because science is always about debate. It's about having a difference of opinion. And from that debate emerges some kind of truth. If you can't have a debate uh, and, and a narrative is shut down and you're we're meant to just hear one narrative, I, I you know, I think that's going the wrong direction for sure. Yeah. So so with these thermal changes, um, what a thermogram is looking for is not just heat changes, but also any, any abnormal response to cooling, because part of a, of a correctly done thermogram should be a cooling process. So we look at temperature changes, any abnormal response to cooling, and thirdly, are there any abnormal blood vessel patterns? So a thermogram can look at all three of those. So if you're normal on a thermogram, we're signing off all three of those things as being normal. So it's a little bit more than just looking at temperature change. It's 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 so there's a dynamic in it built into that. <clears throat> so um, now, what do we do if we have an abnormal thermogram? It 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 depends on on the context of how a woman presents. So. If a woman comes to us and she has a lump in her breast and she has an abnormal thermogram, we, 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 want, we do want a structural picture of the breast. We want at least an ultrasound to characterize the nature of the lump. And that's what I usually do. Or an MRI if it's appropriate, depends on the age of the woman. Or may, may I say, even a mammogram, because this is where a mammogram will shift from being a screening tool to a diagnostic process. So certainly it has a place there. The argument is that it's not proven itself as a screening tool. And so, you know, all of the, the data and the work and the, the work that Gersh has, 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 uh, has published is all, is all showing that it's not proved itself to be an effective screening tool. That doesn't mean it doesn't have a place. It just right. doesn't seem to have proven itself. Well, it hasn't proven itself in the screening arena. Right. So what you're saying, in... just sorry, just to zoom in on that for one moment, yeah. is that yeah. mammogram as a screening tool could, if there is no cancer in the breast, could actually lead to causing more cancer where there wasn't a risk yeah. previously. Whereas yes. if you are sensing from other diagnostics that there potentially likely is a cancer, then the mammogram will help absolutely diagnose that, at which point the benefit outweighs the risk. So we want to Correct. always look at risk analysis. Correct. That's exactly right. And that's what it's about is the risk benefit uh, breakdown. It shifts to becoming, okay, well, you know, we need to make a diagnosis here. Now, a mammogram won't diagnose, of course. A mammogram does not diagnose. You still need a sample of tissue. And uh, even that, I think, will become redundant in the next years because the, the technology around detecting circulating tumor cells from blood without sticking a needle into the tumor has, has advanced so much over the, the, the last years that it's, it's reached 90% sensitivity for, for 70 different solid tumors. Wow. So the technology with, with now blood biopsy or liquid biopsy, as we, we prefer to call it, has advanced so much, I think we're going to reach a point where 
we won't need to stick needles in tumors anymore. We will be able to take a sample of blood and be able to send and that tech already exists. Okay. It already is available. Um, so, and it's something we're looking at, you know, and incorporating into what we do in our own clinical practice, but, but uh, you know, uh, so I think even the need for some screening process some in, in that way will be negated by the fact if do we want to know if there's a cancer there or not let's just take a blood sample send it off that test will then tell us is there any evidence of a, of a cancer there or and if there isn't then it's likely to be a benign process so so um but but yes going back to that what we were saying about mammography it has a place as as a, a, an investigational tool when other factors indicate that it, it may be needed as part of the determining an, an answer. But should it be the first thing? No, because that's screening. So, so you see, so, so I think it, it's, its use, where it, where it moves to benefit outweigh risks is, is in this scenario where we, we, we think there may be something sinister there and we want to try and classify exactly what that is. So then I think it, it, you know, it has a use. So we're not saying, you know, mammograms are redundant, but, but we're, we're saying that as a screening tool, they probably are redundant. Yeah, a bit like antibiotics, too much overuse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you were saying that a woman comes to you and you would see a certain right. thing going yes. on and then yes. what, you, what you would do following on from that. Yes, sorry, you got, that's the question you asked me. And that's I've okay, we go off on a lot of tangents here, it's totally fine. So <laughs> it's, uh, right, so... Um, so what I was what I was uh, saying is that it depends on how that woman presents. I think that's this is where I, I went off track a bit. So if so if if she has a lump in the breast and she has an abnormal thermogram, we want to further characterize the lump by doing an appropriate structural scan, ultrasound, MRI, or even a mammogram, depending on the age of the of the client. If on the other hand there is no lump in the breast. Um, my preferred approach is to try and normalize the thermogram by, by incorporating some key uh, nutritional changes um, over the ensuing six months. So those key things that in my experience are, what's the vitamin D status? Um, uh, you know, 70% or more of my clients are either insufficient or deficient in vitamin D. And these are clients that can afford to pay for private medicine. So the general population is probably, you would anticipate it may even be a little worse than that. And actually, if you look at the data, that's, that's kind of where it is. You know, maybe 70, 80% of people are deficient or insufficient in vitamin D. Bear in mind that that you know, studies since 2016 have shown that when, if you have a vitamin D level above 100 nanomoles per liter, and the normal is 50 to 200, yeah, no, so it's quite a broad range. But if you have uh, a level above 100 nanomoles per liter, the risk of all cancers drops precipitously. Mm. That's a huge story. It should hit all mainstream news that that simple measure, if people could arm themselves with good levels of it, they would be reducing their risk of, uh, of, of, of cancers. Not, not only that, vitamin D does loads of other things, builds bones, improves immunity. There's lots of data coming out around the COVID story that people with good levels of D uh, or even normal levels of D 
uh, have had very mild symptoms or, or no symptoms at all in, in contrast to those that have had low D where they've run into trouble. So, so we know it does a lot, but one of the things that isn't reported is that it, 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 it has this evidence that it reduces risk of cancer. So, so it's important to know what the, the person's vitamin D level is. I would put next to that, uh, no, establish what the iodine status of the person is, trace mineral, 50% of Europeans deficiency in it. But for reasons we don't fully understand, iodine is very important for breast tissue. It is not just for thyroid support, uh, which most people know about, but the same pumps that are in the thyroid for pumping iodine are also found in the breast tissue. And you have to ask the question, what are they doing there? They must be there for a reason. So so, so iodine is, seems to be crucially important for maintaining breast health at 50% of Europeans are deficient in it because it's no longer in the, in the food chain anymore. So iodine, replacing iodine uh, uh, at a reasonable level is going to be uh, imperative for maintaining or recovering breast health. And the third thing I would put Can in I there stop is, you? Sorry, I know I yeah. interrupted and then we go on a tangent, but I just want to make sure because from my understanding, if you are hyperthyroid, if you have hyperthyroidism, yeah. iodine can have a detrimental effect. We don't want to be getting too much iodine if you're, you have hyperthyroidism. Yeah. So I'm talking about yes. hyperthyroidism where you have an overactive, not underactive thyroid. Yes, or, or, or a scenario where you have, uh, you know, a Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Yeah. So you've got an autoimmune thyroiditis. You have to be careful with, with iodine. It, it's not a contraindication, but you have to be more careful with it. Right. Uh, and yes, if you've got hyperthyroidism, you want, wouldn't want to be giving um, uh, uh, iodine in that scenario. Yeah. But the, these circumstances are, are quite uncommon. I just want to make sure that we're giving people the right information. Sure. Someone who's potentially sure. got Hashimoto's isn't running out to get some iodine no. without checking no. their level, levels no, and taking right. too that's much. No, that's right. That's right. But normally, uh, normally people who come for a thermogram uh, will have indicated that on their questionnaire, you know, yeah. so, so we'll be aware of it at the, at the time. So... So when so yes, in in those situations you have to be uh, more cautious, and be more gentle with the the iodine replacement. I mean, they can't have it, but you should right, avoid so using, you know, the it. higher you know the higher dosages of it that we might use to recover breast health. Right. Uh, some of the time. So so we would you say like a five percent Lugol's iodine five percent would be okay for most people? Would you say? Yeah, or, or maybe less even if someone has a Hashimoto's because, right. because you know, you've got to go more gentle and maybe build up, make sure there isn't a reaction to it. So maybe even a 1%, you okay. know, uh, in someone like that, or, or even uh, use a kelp base to right, yeah. replace iodine, which is always going to be quite low level replacement. Um, so, but, uh, but normally, you know, a 5% or even a 12% Lugol's, uh, Bear in mind that, you know, the, the, the Japanese daily intake of iodine is about 13 milligrams yeah. daily. Well, I take 12% personally, um, yeah. but I don't recommend that for everyone because a lot of people yeah. who come my way aren't having um, consultations with me. And I want to be very careful yes. about people taking yes. a personalized approach. So I would always recommend 5% Lugos iodine yeah. for people yeah. who know that they don't have um, any autoimmune thyroid yes. conditions, yes. hyperthyroidism, yes. 
Um, and if they yeah. do, then to go, like you said, with the sea veg kelp kind of route. Yes, Perfect. that's right. So and, let's that, get... and, that, and that's a, that's a sensible approach, and that's the same approach that that, that we take as well. So, um, uh, but you know, what is what is a? I think iodine is. There's a lot of misinformation mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, around iodine uh, that that it causes detrimental effect. You excrete any excess iodine that you don't use in the urine anyway. And we know that because that's how we, we tend to test if you if you've got sufficient replacement. So, um, so uh, uh, a, a lot of it is based on misinformation, which originates from some old studies that weren't actually done on humans. They were done on on rats. We won't expand on that now. But it, but it, it a lot of it is based on incorrect conclusions that were made from some earlier science and unfortunately it's just rolled on without anyone really revisiting that and challenging it so but anyway no we have to we still nevertheless have to be cautious with it but the 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 important factor in all of this is that iodine is important for breast health so in our experience when we when we have a patient who has an abnormal thermogram and we optimize the vitamin d and we, uh, we, we replace iodine in an appropriate manner. There's a third thing, check for how that woman is metabolizing estrogen, uh, even if they're in menopause, because if they're producing toxic estrogens that can damage breast tissue, um, there are nutritional ways of correcting that um, for, you know, by using, for example, cruciferous vegetable extracts, by using B vitamins, both of those are involved in, in detoxifying estrogen uh, when it's metabolized in the body. So if that's a factor for that patient and their risks, then addressing that nutritionally will have, an, will have a, a positive impact on their risk moving forward. So we found that if we just address those three things, uh, and there's, a, there, there's, a, there's a, a one fourth thing, which I'm not going to say too much about because I don't want to spill all the beans, but but there there are some f- other nutrients which which actually have the ability to turn off any abnormal cells. In other words, they encourage programmed cell death. Uh, cancer cells are becoming mortal. That's because the cell death mechanism gets turned off. Um, uh, we think we understand some of the mechanisms of how that works, but. But the important thing is if you can turn that mechanism, that cell death mechanism back on, if you did have any rogue cells and you turn that mechanism back on, basically those cells will start to die off. So there are, there are, there, there are, uh, there's there are another, other nutrients which have the ability to do that. By using those in conjunction with the D, the iodine, uh, uh, neutralizing any toxic estrogens, we found in, oh, I found in my practice that we can, we can normalize a thermogram over a period of, of six months in more than 80% of clients. Wow. And, uh, and uh, some of those are, that I haven't returned to normal are returning to normal. We can't, we, we, we can't do it in 100% with this, with this but, but we're, we're looking at other ways that we can even improve on that. But what does that mean? I mean, what, that, what that, I think that means is that if you, take a woman from an abnormal thermogram to a normal thermogram and you then keep her thermogram normal, what I think that means is you keep her risk low for developing a problem in the future. 
And what are those nutrients? What's some example of some of them? Well, vitamin D. Right. Okay. Iodine. <laughs> but you said there were other uh, nutrients that you would that you would. No, oh, some of the other ones. Uh, well, for example, uh, there's a form of vitamin E which has this this uh, ability to turn off uh, cancer cells. And, and that's one of the ones uh, we use. It has no side effects, no downsides. It's not all vitamin E. It's a special, a special form of uh, vitamin E, which has this, this ability to turn on uh, programmed cell death. Um, and, and so we, we, whether, when someone has an abnormal thermogram and we don't know what it is that represents, we, we tend to, I tend to assume the worst. What if there were a few rogue cells there that we can't detect by sending them for an ultrasound or a mammogram because they're only going to detect something which is big enough to detect. If there were some rogue cells, there's, why don't we non-invasively react to this situation by turning off any rogue cells if there are any there? Now, having said that, iodine to, it, it activates programmed cell death. Vitamin D does as well. So if you layer in several nutrients which have the ability to, uh, to encourage programmed cell death. That puts you on a good wicket when it comes to addressing if there were any rogue cells there, getting them turned off before they establish themselves too much. So, so I can't say that an abnormal thermogram, all of these 80% plus that have gone back to normal, I, we can't say that those have represented all early cancers. Of course not. But what we can say is that when you've got thermal changes, which are consistent over time, that's increased risk. What we want to do is reverse that so there aren't any thermal changes. And that, that I believe, equates to reducing risk. That, 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 I think, is the biggest story. Yeah. And I would add probably, uh, just kind of empirically, that when you talk about vitamin D, our lack of exposure to the sun and how people are yeah. slathering themselves with toxic sunscreens, which in themselves are carcinogenic. Just the mm. fact that we need to just be in the sun and let ourselves absorb the vitamin D, naturally yeah, exactly. get enough exactly, omegas right. in our diets yeah. to help us absorb it. It's yeah. just simple. These things are all kind of free and simple, you know? And, and it's only in the, the last, I would say, the last sort of... 10 years or so, there's been an explosion of research in vitamin D where we've discovered, you know, more and more things that it does that we didn't know before, you know. Uh, you know, there used to be a concept that all it did was support bones, you know, and stop you getting rickets or osteomalacia, as it's called in adults. Um, but it does a lot more than that. You know, immune system, uh, we think uh, as, many, as many as two or 3,000 of our 25,000 genes. Remember, we only have 25,000-ish genes. And, and a tenth of those are probably regulated by vitamin D. Wow. Uh, that's, that's huge. You know, 10% of our genome, the behavior of our 10% of our genes, the behavior of those genes is actually regulated by vitamin D. That's wow. a big thing. So if you so, had a genetic predisposition to breast cancers, vitamin D would play a part in switching absolutely, those genes on. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's got to be part of the, the story, in my view. Amazing. So when someone comes to you for thermography, and I know that you've done a lot to make the prices a lot more accessible as well how much is thermography with you in your clinic and how often would someone come so if they kind if they say had 
a normal scan, how often would you recommend they come back? And if they had slight abnormal changes that require lifestyle changes, how soon after that would you then check them again? So um, if they're normal, I recommend that they come back uh, once a year, if possible. In, in a similar way to, you know, how you how often do you visit a dentist? You know, we, uh, we shouldn't really go to the dentist when we've got a problem. We should really go proactively and, and maintain our teeth so that we don't have a problem. I kind of see it in the same light that, that you know, uh, be proactive. If it's normal, if you can do one a, a, a annually, great, just to make sure it continues to be normal. And if it isn't, we, we're able to react to that, you know, at that time. Uh, if it's abnormal, I tend to recommend com coming back after six months um, because that and that the reason for that is if we're going to intervene with lifestyle and nutrition, usually you've got to allow time for that to establish itself, to change the environment before we rescan. You could arguably do it three months later, but uh, but historically, when I've recalled people at three months, they come at six months. And when I recall them at six months, they come at 12 months. So. So in the end, I gave up on that and said, well, look, let's just let's just make sure we rescan at six months. Uh, and the majority of people are very compliant with that. Yeah. So how much does it cost to have thermography? So so we charge and my practice manager will probably uh, be having kittens now that I don't know exactly, but it's two six five. We charge for for a scan, which is if so reasonable when you think about what it's doing. And I know it used to be a lot more expensive. But we try and we try and incentivize. Uh, we give concessions to uh, to people who 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 are our patients anyway. We we try and subsidize it for them. We're always trying to to make concessions to try and encourage more people to come because I think I think women should be more proactive about breast health and not reactive. Same. Uh, we're trying to encourage that, but but again, you know, at the moment, uh, we're one centre, uh, and within the next, I would say, six months, as we start to roll out Thermacheck, it will be more widely available across UK Europe. That uh, I think, as that happens, uh, hopefully, that will be accompanied with, you know, uh, certainly stable pricing and hopefully reduction in in, in prices as well. Yeah. So. Um, you know, I think it should be available to all women. I, I really, I really do think this should not just sit in the private arena. I think it should be available on the NHS. It isn't. Yeah. So we in the private sphere will do our best to keep the prices as uh, as low as possible, just to keep it accessible. And your clinic have kindly offered listeners of the podcast a ten percent discount um, to have thermography with you. So, um, mm -hmm. for anyone listening who wants to visit Dr. Eccles at his Harley Street Clinic, just um, whether you book online or over the phone, all you need to do is um, reference Recondition Podcast, and you'll get that ten percent. So, thank you for offering that. Um, I'd love for you also to talk to us about bioidentical hormones and. I want to start with the question, is HRT bad? We have now had enough years since the whole controversy to have really delved into it and kind of cracked that shell wide open. Some women yeah. are saying, you know, I don't care about any of the long-term later side effects. I needed it at that point and it's what saved me. Some people absolutely believe that it is causing cancers. What is the truth and why do you offer bioidentical hormones and what are bioidentical hormones? Right. So 
is the, so let me just uh, uh, answer the question this way so it, it is is conventional hrt safe answer based on the scientific data in the long term no because we know from many studies now in, uh, you know the women's health initiative study 2002 that's ages ago now uh you know flag the risks we know it's risky in the long term which is why doctors now don't like to prescribe conventional hrt for longer than five years yeah the problem with that is that a woman can be symptomatic uh with you know uh, most women who go on hrt do so because they're they've got menopause symptoms a woman can be symptomatic for much longer than that so we kind of leave women basically in a, in, a, in a quandary, if they can only take it for five years and then what? So, because, and the reason that why we don't want them to take it longer is because as time moves on, the risk compounds. So the risk of breast cancer, heart attack, stroke, clots, all of the things we know that, that are the negative impact of conventional HRT, they tend to start to kick in in the longer term, those risks increase. The good news is, that, and we've known this for really since 2005, um, a big study published in International Journal of Cancer screened 60,000 plus women on different forms of HRT. And they looked at two key outcomes. One was the incidence of clots and the incidence of breast cancer. And that, that study really showed very clearly uh, that um, when you combine estrogen with a synthetic progesterone, and this is important, really important, because I still think a lot of doctors don't get this um, with all due respect. Um, and I've written articles on this to explain it to doctors. It's important to know the difference between natural progesterone and synthetic progesterone. They are not the same. They can have completely opposite effects. When you combine estrogen with with a form of synthetic progesterone, and there are several forms of synthetic progesterone that are used in HRT, what you see is there is an increased risk in breast cancer and clots. However, and this is from this study, which has been confirmed subsequently, when you combine estrogen with natural micronized progesterone, i.e. natural progesterone, guess what? no increased risk of breast cancer, no increased risk of clots. So we've known that from 2005, and it's been confirmed in other studies since. So we know that if you combine estrogen um, with natural progesterone, there is no increased risk over time, which means that you could replace hormones that way, estrogen and progesterone, in the longer term without worrying about about risk of breast cancer or stroke or clots etc cetera, etc cetera. so um uh, so the, the the difference is bioidentical hormones you are, are hormones based on the exact molecular structure that the body produces in fact some prefer to call them body identical hormones it's semantics bioidentical body identical are the same thing uh, they're the same molecules that the body produces, exactly the same structure of the hormones your body produces, hence bio or body identical. Um, those seem to not carry the increased risk that we've seen with conventional HRT. 
So for me, uh, I think all hormone replacements should be body identical, bioidentical. I think some doctors are now starting to, you know, prescribe forms of body identical hormones because because some, if not all, are waking up to this. Um, so that's the, the main difference. Um, and uh, uh, you see, over and above, yeah, I mean, this weaves very nicely into the breast health story, because of course, you don't want to be on hormones if they're increasing your risk of breast cancer. But the good news is that you can be on forms of the hormones that don't increase your risk and give you all the benefits just the same. So, and that's where I believe, that's the biggest difference between bioidentical hormones and what are, what are available as, you know, the synthetic conventional HRT alternatives. It seems crazy to me, you know, having this conversation with you and knowing that there are these solutions, these preventative and, um, you know, also kind of very proactive solutions to the challenges that arise in our health that so few people actually know about or would know to seek out. So it is just amazing. And I'm so, I feel privileged to be able to bring this information to people who might not know about it, you know? Um, it, it's just great that we have these options. And, and your yep. clinic does all of this, um, as well as men's health and men's hormones. Yeah, yeah, men tend not to present themselves for hormonal issues because, you know, that's us being men. We tend not to do it, um, you know, we, we're not as, as responsive or reactive to uh, health prevention as women are. But there's another difference as well, is that women's hormones tend to fall off a cliff, whereas men's hormones roll down a hill, you see, over time. So men don't have, tend not to have the abruptness or intrusiveness of symptoms that women can have with menopause. But they still get symptoms. It's just that they 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 creep up on men, whereas in women they tend to be, you know, much more abrupt and intrusive. That doesn't mean men can't support them their hormones. They can. It's just that they tend not to be aware that they may have a hormonal issue, whereas women know it because they're they're intrusive symptoms largely. So, what sort yeah. of things are you helping men for in the clinic? Men. So it's often, uh, you know, reduced the, the common things that, that you see with hormone depletion. So, you know, loss of energy, loss of vitality, reduction of libido, erectile dysfunction, um, mood disturbance. Because you see, men get all of this from their hormones dropping, uh, just like women can get the, the, these things happening, you know, at, at menopause or perimenopause. Men can get uh, similar symptoms as well. So, but it's just that often men don't think, oh, this is my hormones mm. doing this, you see. So they tend not to present. And usually the men who do come, I would say 80% of the men who approach us come because their wives have been, <laughs> right. have been to see us, you see. So the wives have prompted them to, you know, come and get a checkup. But, we're so uh, you used know, to I wish men would everything. be a bit more proactive because, again, you know, there, there are elements of this that are preventative, uh, you know, the sort of grumpy old man scenario, that's the kind of menopause. The grumpy old man doesn't need to be a grumpy old man. You know, he needs to attend to his hormonal situation. The grumpy old woman doesn't need to be a grumpy old woman as well, because there are so many things we can do to, oh. to prevent those, oh. those menopause symptoms. Oh. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that is a great note to, 
to end on. So before I end, um, I do do a little rapid fire round called All About You. Um, and the first one is always the same. It's fill in the blank. Wellness is. Wellness is uh, prevention. I completely agree. One thing we should all be doing to keep healthier. Optimise vitamin D. Mm. One thing you'd like to see changed in the medical industry. Uh, embracing the notion of using natural molecules uh, instead of synthetics. Absolutely. And the last one is... What, so I do a lot of purpose coaching with my clients and I always find that in order for people to step into their purpose and to really get to know who they are, they should start by really looking at what is the thing, what are the things that really fill you up? So I like to ask my guests sometimes, what fills you up to give people a little bit of inspiration on that? What really kind of lights you up? Uh seeing the uh seeing the my three-year-old son laughing and joking Aww. i think that that really you know can can lift a day um i think i think also um i like to see kindness mm. yeah you know i mean i mean i think that uh uh there's you know we we have become unkind to each other particularly and more so you know, after the whole COVID thing. And, you know, I, whenever I see an act of kindness, you know, that, that I find really moving, you know, that, cause there's a, that's who we basically should are as human beings, we, you know, and we should be that, you know, we should care about people. Um, and, and I think that, um, you know, I, I think for me, seeing that is, is still, for me, really rewarding. I think that can change my day when I when I see an act of kindness. Mm, I agree. Dr. Eccles, thank you so much. Um, just to remind anyone listening that they can get 10% off thermography um, at your clinic, which is The Natural Doctor in Harley Street, uh, by uh, mentioning the Recondition podcast. So thank you for being so generous with that. Um, and obviously all your other services, as we spoke about, body identical hormones, uh, fertility as well, something you, you work with, and of course, men's health. Is there anything I've missed out that you would like to let people know? I think you've given people so much food for thought, uh, well, you to be have. honest. I, I, well, okay, we have then. But um, uh, but no, I, I don't think so, you know. Um, I, I think we've covered a lot of uh, important uh, issues in, in this podcast. So I'm, I'm grateful that you've allowed the, the forum for that to happen. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to that amazing episode. I'm completely blown away. I obviously had had this conversation with Dr. Eccles three years ago, but so much more information now. And it's just kind of reminded me of the importance of thermography and something I'd like to recommend. Why don't we all buy this as a gift for our mums, our partners, our wives, our sisters, our best friend? Like what a great thing to do. Buy them a voucher to go and have breast thermography. I mean, 
genius. Um, so I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you did enjoy it and you know someone who can benefit from the information, we spoke about so many incredible things that so many people can benefit from as a preventative approach. Please do share the episode with your friends and family, share it on social media, share the love. Of course, if you enjoyed it, please rate and review the podcast as well because it really helps us to be seen by more people. Once again, thank you also to our partners for this season. Amrita Nutrition for the highest quality supplements that I personally recommend and to Sensate which is my nighttime best friend. Thank you everyone for listening once again. I appreciate you.